You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and thanks for joining me here on this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and I'm delighted to be back with you with a brand new show after a few weeks summer break. And the super weather that we've had of late has meant that there is no excuse to get out and about. And on tonight's show, I'm going to share with you some of the places I've visited recently and the conversations I've had, starting with coffee connoisseur Alan Andrews at the Old Barracks in Bird Hill, County Tip. Then we'll be turning up in the model county, I didn't know it was called that, aka County Wexford, to meet Lorraine O'Dwyer from Gallivanting Food Tours to find out what fantastic food and drink offerings the area has to offer. But before that, you may have forgotten how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. So to remind you, the email is s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also doing a little bit on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. Now, as I said there, our first guest on tonight's show is Coffee Culture's Alan Andrews in his new home, the Old Barracks in Bird Hill, County Tipperary. The perfect drinking destination for the coffee curious. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Alan, it's great to be here in the old barracks in Bird Hill in County Tipperary, your latest venture. And I'm really enjoying this cup of coffee from Ethiopia and I didn't realise that's where coffee originated. Yeah, well, um, I suppose there's a lot of stories that go back to both Ethiopia and Yemen and um, even then as far as Kenya or over to Holland um, where the Dutch colonies, you know, maybe brought coffee over to the States then. So coffee has a huge history in terms of where it comes from. being in Bird Hill, we um, yeah we want to I suppose bring some of that history and some of that knowledge to to the Munster region I suppose and and create a destination for people that are coffee curious. So I'm delighted that you've gone with something different, something unique. Uh, this coffee is probably the most expensive coffee we have in the house at the moment. Um, My husband won't be surprised to hear of <laughs> expensive taste and coffee as well as everything else. <laughs> So yeah, so um, it's the most expensive coffee we have in house. It um, comes from a farm in Ethiopia that um, my brother put me onto because he lived there for three years, and it has been supported by the Department of Foreign Affairs in Ireland to get them to market. So we have a really good relationship with both the farm, um, the local uh, boards there, you know, and the World Bank and uh, Department of Foreign Affairs who have helped get them to market. So we're we're quite proud of having a relationship with them and being able to bring their coffee to the Irish market. And you're importing beans then from Ethiopia and lots of other countries and they come in in big sacks. Yeah, so um, usually in around a 60 or 70 kilo sack, Hessian sack, um, inside which there's a grain pro bag and that is a um, uh, basically a, a heavy duty green plastic bag that keeps moisture out and the, um, the moisture content of the bean safe. Um, the coffee is transported. It's very difficult to get coffee out of Ethiopia. So um, there's a lot of, um, how would you say, uh, deals that have to be done and there's a lot of red tape. So uh, it can be very political getting coffee out of Ethiopia. But we do bring coffee in from, well, at the moment we have coffee in from Rwanda, from Ethiopia, from Burundi, uh, from Guatemala, from El Salvador, 
from uh, Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala, and Brazil. That's a lot of countries. It's a lot of countries, yeah, about 10, I can't remember now. But and we have, um, so as the harvests are, are happening uh, in each area of the world, um, we get new coffees on offer. So we just started getting coffees from Guatemala, and now we're getting coffees from uh, Honduras very soon. And then we'll move into, in the later part of the year, so uh, July, August, September, October, the harvest start over in the west, or sorry, over in the east. So places like uh, Papua New Guinea, um, Indonesia, Java, Bali, all of those areas, um, they start to get harvested now. So we work with the seasons and we bring coffee in as soon after it's harvested as possible. And um, yeah, we brew it here. So it's... um, kind of exciting. And you mentioned that your brother lived in Ethiopia, so he introduced you to um, a, a place there to source beans. You visited a number of places yourself. I saw in the training room there, there's some pictures of you in Honduras. Yeah, Honduras, uh, Guatemala. We've also been to Indonesia and Bali. Um, we didn't get to Ethiopia this year. Um, we had a trip scheduled for last December, but we had a client cafe open and um, the harvest season is a very um, very limited window. So if you don't get to go, you miss the opportunity of the coffee being picked. Um, so I'm very disappointed about that because we had planned on actually visiting this uh, Biftukadina farm. Um, but hey, uh, yeah, we try to go somewhere different every year. And um, it's very interesting because sometimes you can, um, you can speak to other coffee buyers and they might recommend a farm to you or they might recommend a particular region within a country of where you can buy from. But it's only when you go to the farm you realise how how um, how focused they are maybe on quality control and how focused they are on um, you know managing every step of the process um, and delivering a really good quality coffee cherry to us when it's picked. And some farms are better than others. So it sounds like it's a good opportunity to network with other people in the industry from all over the world, as well as really get to know your supplier. Yeah, if you go on a uh, on a structured trip, um, you can go on trips with the Specialty Coffee Association, who we are, uh, whom we are members of. That association, it's a global um, specialty group, um, and they they champion all of these farms, um, and all of the farms we buy from. Their coffees are scored out of. 100 so um if there's anything above an 84 point cup or you know basically 82 points upwards so on average it's about 84 points 85 points out of 100 all of those coffees are specialty coffees so we get to meet people who are also interested buyers um, and educated buyers who might have bought from the region before and are on another visit there they can recommend farms to us uh, they can recommend what coffee they might have bought or what micro lots they might have bought so you could buy from let's say Limerick, uh, to use a local, you know, uh, explainer. Um, So you buy from Limerick, but people might say, well, you need to buy from actually Newcastle West or you need to buy from Adair. And that's exactly the the area. And even within that, they might give you somewhere even more specific, like an actual farm field that the best coffee has come from before. So it gets quite detailed. And whenever you bring it in here, then you have a machine downstairs. It's a roasting machine. Yeah, so we roast coffee here. Basically, it's a large... uh, it's like a large tumble dryer. Um, it, it heats up to about 250 degrees Celsius and we drop the coffee in somewhere around 220 degrees. We can roast up to uh, up to 15 kilos in it. So um, 
We normally put about 12 kilos, maybe 10, depending on the varietal of the coffee that we're putting inside. And we can roast coffee in 11 to 13 minutes. So that's the artisan approach. It's a small, um, small scale roasting. Every batch is, is hand, uh, um, hand-eye coordination skills. Or, you know, you're watching one thing, you might be tweaking temperature. Uh, or tweaking the speed that the drum is rotating or the amount of airflow going through. So there's a very much a, a skill set that's required to to monitor the roasting and to see how the bean is reacting to make sure that you hold the flavors inside the bean. Um, and we do that every week. So we roast all of those coffees that I mentioned, the 10 different origins and, and the new ones. Um, we roast them off in small batches of 12 kilos at a go. And you sell that then to the shop or to the cafe, say, uh, as a single blend, or you actually mix them together as well? So yeah, in most cases, we sell them as a single blend because the um, basically coffee consumers in Ireland are more educated now. So they know that they might like, for example, the flavours of coffee from Ethiopia. They might like that light, um, slightly fruity or highly acidity type coffee. Um, or they might like the flavour from, let's say, a natural processed coffee from Brazil, which is de- deep and heavy and really weighty in your mouth and has loads of uh, dark stone fruit kind of undertones. Um, so by, by giving the people the option of having what we call a single origin, so that origin might be Ethiopia or Brazil or Guatemala, by giving them the option to have a single origin, they can identify with a very specific single flavour. Um, and you could... You could uh, compared to wine you know so people might like uh, Italian wines or they might like Spanish wines or Chilean um, or Californian you know so you could compare it to something like that um, although coffee is twice as complex as wine um, the other option then is yeah sometimes we blend um, sometimes we might put a combination so we might put for example um, Guatemala coffees typically have flavors of roasted almonds and um, baker's chocolate or milk chocolate and you might find the coffee from from let's say Burundi or Rwanda that has high notes of orange acidity and you might put those together and you might get a you might get a subtle undertones then of chocolate and orange through your coffee really subtle you know and you describe the Irish consumer of coffee as very well educated now like you've been in business for what 10 years have you seen a huge difference from when you started 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Like we've come a long way from the filter coffee and from the instant coffee. Yeah, like, um, so a great example now is when, when people come to us and we ask them what kind of coffee do they like? So when we started back in 2009, typically the answer was a cappuccino or a milky coffee. Um, and now when we ask people what kind of coffee do they like, they say Colombia or uh, Guatemala or Burundi, you know, so they they really, they've, they've honed it into a geographic region. Um, and then we can, you know, add it to milk or add it to, 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 to add water to it to make it Americana. But yeah, they're very, very much educated. And Irish people also make coffee at home a lot now in in, in, in new techniques, like not instant coffee, but in Chemex brewing, you know, so they grind their own coffee. Um, uh, it could be a V60 or an Aeropress or a French press. So yeah, they're really, we see it here. We, we sell any of the coffees that we sell. So if you're buying a bag of, let's say, our Koshako from Rwanda to use in your home, we'll give you two samples of any other coffees that are on the shelf in a 30 gram sample bag. So you can buy your 250 gram bag of Koshako Rwanda, and you might also get 30 grams of our latest um, uh, 
Postos de Caldas, which is our Brazilian natural coffee, which would be very different to the Rwandan. And then we might give them also another 30 gram sample of, let's say, the Ethiopian. And they have the opportunity then to taste three different coffees at home. That's a great idea. I'd say it's very well received. Yeah, well, it's funny because um, I remember buying um, uh, makeup presents for my mom um, and the girl in the shop was like, I'll give you a few samples for your mom as well. She'd be delighted with the samples. And it was Clarence products or something, you know. So you're, I was getting this, you know, whatever it was, a moisturizer. And then there was a couple of little gifts in the bag. And I was thinking, that's such a great idea. So so we've, we've that's where it came from. That was the inspiration from it. Um, and I said, oh, we must do that now with our coffees because what more... What do you want? It's just the opportunity to brew another type of coffee and to taste it beside the one that you just had. Um, and then, of course, yeah, people will come back and they might buy another 250 gram bag of the of the other coffee. And the barista training side of the business is yeah. a huge element. Is that mainly for the, the retail market or do you find some private individuals like to come and do the training as well? I'd say less than 5% of our market is private individuals currently. So... Um, so basically what we have now is I have I have split the business into into two separate companies. So we have the old barracks as the roasters and the wholesale suppliers. And where I started off in 2009 was uh, the company called Coffee Culture. And that company um, specialized in training and education. So my own journey really has been um, educating and training both myself and the consumers and our wholesale customers for the last nine or ten years which was really the inspiration for creating i suppose a destination for coffee curious people uh, in bird hill um, and then the training side has very much very much sits underneath the coffee culture umbrella um, and that's very very active in the trade so we're the largest um, and the most active trainers for the industry to the trade um, and for baristas in in, in the workspace um, but we need to now migrate some of that information into the roastery and, and create a retail version or, or, a, or a, a, what they call it, a B2C version. So, um, uh, so, so that the everyday coffee drinkers can come in and get some education around coffee and learn more. Um, so they're very much, uh, yeah, training is a huge part um, in the coffee culture story and not so much. So what happens is we have the coffee culture business finds I suppose new cafe owners and new entrants into the market and they need support and education and training whereas um, the old barracks business um, the coffees are a little bit more uh, premium um, and their destination user is a, an experienced barista or an educated uh, cafe and those people don't need as much support because they know how to how to manipulate the coffees and generate the flavors. So the business then has grown from, as coffee culture, you were importing the beans and roasting them and, and selling them to the retail and then you introduced the training. You would do some judging as well because I've come across you at a few yeah. competitions. It's such a skill and a vocation now. Like It's a well-respected job to have being a barista. Well, absolutely. And I think um, it's basically it's basically a modern-day barman. You know, if you can... If you can, if you can um, if you can engage with, with the public and talk and you can be very immediate and you can understand their needs uh, from both uh, an emotional, you know, emotional point of view um, and also just their basic needs to, you know, maybe not want to talk to somebody sometimes, but they just want a space to hang out. Um, and sometimes that's all barmen used to do. They used to just be that sounding board for people 
um, to get stuff off their chests. Um, and, and it was all done through, I suppose, an alcoholic environment, whereas now coffee and cafes have created that third space for people. I'm not so sure if you're familiar with um, this idea of a third space, but it's where people have home and work as their first two spaces. And then they always need a social space. So that's their social outlet. Um, and that's what we're trying to create in Burt Hill is um, a third space for people to go to and have somewhere to relax and just a nice environment. Um, and the bar man or the barista um, person in that space is, is super important because they need to be able to engage or disengage as required. Um, and because it's a non-alcoholic environment, I think it's a much cleaner, safer environment for everybody. Um, and it's a very, it's very neutral space. Um, so the, you know, finding, finding skilled staff who are interested in coffee and finding people who can engage with consumers and, and be friendly and nice um, are, you know, they're very hard to find. Um, we've been very lucky. We have some really great uh, guys downstairs and um, they, they've all wanted to work here, which is great. They've all kind of approached me and said, I want to be part of that journey. And not only is it alcohol free, it's also child free. And that was a bit of a controversial decision to make, but it has worked out very well for you. Yeah, um, I guess some people might call it controversial. I would call it positioning, market positioning. You know, we're just positioning our brand in terms of where we want to be and who we want our, or how we want our customers to experience the space. Um, and as a parent, I find that even I want some downtime and I want to find a space where I can I can find that. But unfortunately for me, now I can't come to work to do that because I've created this space where it's a, an adults only environment and now I don't want to be here on my days off because I'll end up working. So now I'm just waiting for somebody else to open another adults friendly um, environment. So yeah, um, it's, a, it's a strategic decision, of course, um, but also uh, it's it's backed with um, like the space doesn't doesn't uh, provide any um, comfort for children whatsoever. In that we have a roaster that sits at two hundred and fifty degrees. So if any curious child finds their way to the roasting space, that's just not a problem we want to have to deal with. Um, and um, like that's the. That's one of the possibilities that could happen, you know, so I'm always mindful of that. And um, so I don't really think it's the best space. And we're only open a few weeks, but I have had incidences here where people arrive up and they have a child maybe in both arms and they're trying to order, but the children are pulling out of them. And we're trying to explain the 10 coffees that are on the menu. And they go, they're, I don't care what coffee it is. I just want a latte. And for me, that hurts because I want, you know, to be able to deliver an experience and the people are distracted by what's going on in their lives and that's that's fine but i don't get any enjoyment out of that and i want me and the staff to be able to get enjoyment out of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and you have thought very carefully about the space because you have the space with the music and then you have the space with no music yeah so we do have um we have i suppose uh what i call a high area so that's the main bar area is all high stools high ledges and um, the bar counter is high um, and that's kind of the the the, the vibey space there's there's music going on it's all very bassy um, uh, everything is done at eye level um, and then we have a room off that which is a quieter room uh, for people to sit and relax and there's no music played in there although 
the vibe does filter through into that room, but you can quite easily have a conversation in there without the interference from, I suppose, the little bit of hustle and bustle at the bar. Um, because the bar does get busy. It does get busy and you do get people sitting at the bar. You get people, you know, standing at the bar with their elbow on the bar counter uh, discussing coffees. You, there's grinding of coffee going on all the time. I, there's a couple of times through this interview where I can hear the coffee being ground on the bar and, and it's coming through. It might come through on the tape. Um, so there is a, a nice bit of hustle and bustle at the front, which is that kind of, you know, it's a bar vibe. That's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create a bar vibe. Um, and that's why we call it a coffee bar and not a cafe. So there's been a bit of... Um, there's been a bit of conflict around, you know, is it a coffee shop? Is it a cafe? And we've going, no, it's a coffee bar. It's a kind of a new, you know, uh, iteration of what way coffee is served. Um, and then the back room, yeah, it gives that space. And we find a lot of, you know, uh, people, like small groups, like to go in there. Um, people during the week go in there with their laptops. They use the Wi-Fi and they do a bit of work on their laptops and hang out. And the menu is very extensive in terms of what you can choose from co- from the coffee, it's a coffee menu. Yeah, and, and we, it's interesting to watch some of the comments on TripAdvisor because people are disappointed when they come because the the menu is limited. Yet we have ten coffees on the menu, but I, I I guess it's because they're coming from the, you know, the angle that they're expecting it to be a coffee shop. And that's ten coffees times like you can get it in a latte or a flat white or an americano. Etc. Yeah, yeah, filter, so Chemex, so V60. Yeah, so yeah. that multiplies across. We've uh, beautiful herbal teas. We've Roy Bosch lemon. We've Ying Lang. We've got chamomile, Russian Earl Grey. Um, uh, what else have we got? We've peppermint. Yeah, we've loads of teas, yeah. So you can get coffee, you can get tea, and then there's sweet treats. Sweet treats, yeah. Sweet treats on the bar. So we've a couple of cakes and um, um, truffles or people might I call them protein balls but that can, and all made by my daughter yeah so all um, handmade all handmade made. yeah, yeah. so um, yeah there's sweet treats in the bar it's coffee and cake it's we're trying to keep it as simple as possible it's coffee and cake come and chill out um, take the coffee card with you try the Colombian today come back next week and try the Ethiopian um, and some people have some people come in and they have two or three coffees in one session um, and they want to taste, yeah, across the board. It's a very cool space. I love it. L- lovely and bright. Uh, the counter is so interesting where they're making the coffee there, the way you can sit up. It is very much like a bar counter, as you say. Yeah. Um, but with everything integrated into it. And then the training room upstairs is very unique as well. It's very adaptable for if you have five people or 20 people. Yeah, the training works pretty well. The um, the bar counter itself is um, the first of its type in Europe. So uh, what we have is, um, uh, people probably have to go to our Instagram to see it. So at Old Barracks Coffee Roasters, um, if they check it out there. But the bar itself, the coffee handles or the spouts that normally deliver the coffee are on top of the counter and then the machine itself is under the counter so you don't have this big uh, chunk of a machine um, disrupting the line of sight from uh, the customer through to the cup being brewed so if you can imagine walking into a typical cafe and you have this big machine on the counter and you can't necessarily see what's going on on the barista side because there's a machine in the way Uh, so what we have is a is known as a mod bar and it's a gravimetric mod bar. So the the taps look like fonts, like you'll see in a bar, 
coffee comes through those and underneath uh, the counter we have a weighing scales underneath each tap and that measures the weight of the coffee that is delivered to a recipe that we've already predetermined and every single coffee as you say on the back bar so this morning there were six plus a decaf so there's seven coffees on today um, and if you can imagine each one of those coffees has a specific setting on the grinder it has a specific weight of of uh, coffee that needs to go into the basket it has a specific uh, speed with which we can extract it through the machine and a specific weight which we need to hit in the cup. The menu changes every day, just like an ordinary cafe that's yeah. doing food. Yeah, yeah. So every, so all of the parameters are measured and then in order to increase the engagement with the customer, we've, t- we've basically stripped the bar back to just the counter and a couple of taps. Um, so you can see, you can see if the guys mess up. You know, if they mess up and the brew doesn't work the way it's meant to, which happens because you have to change, you have to adjust the grinder every time you want to make a different coffee. And it has happened where four people come in and they each try a different coffee. So you'll have a cappuccino with Rwanda, a flat white with Ethiopia, um, you know, an Americano with Colombian and hot milk on the side. And then you'll have maybe even a mocha with the Rwandan again. And all of a sudden you have four different coffees. You've got to change the grind four different times, brew them in four different ways with four different outputs. And sometimes it goes wrong. And that's the theatre of it all. Because it's, although we try to make it look as easy as possible, it's actually quite complex. Well, as I say, a very cool space, very well designed. The science behind it and everything is just mind blowing for me. Um, if people want to find out when you're open, how to get here, etc., where's the best place for you to direct them? Social media, website? Yeah, social media. Um, as I said earlier, the Instagram is our, I suppose, our most active social platform at the moment. Um, maybe Instagram will change their, you know, their algorithms and it'll be, we'll be back to Facebook. I don't know. But um, so at Old Barracks Coffee Roasters on Insta, we're also on Facebook at Old Barracks Coffee Roasters as well. And our website is theoldbarracks.ie. We are five minutes off the N7. So tw- exit 27, we're in the middle of Bird Hill Village and um, we're open seven days, 10 to five. Perfect pit stop if you're maybe going Kerry direction from Dublin. Yeah, we get a lot of people, um, Kerry, uh, Tralee, um, and some people that are going uh, over to Killarney as well um, and up to like Kildare Village or that, you know, coming up shopping. So yeah, yeah, we get, it's great. And we, we're, we're so lucky because we have uh, a really popular pub, Matha Trashers next door, uh, which is great food. So you can go there and have your dinner and come into us for a cup of coffee or a bit of cake afterwards. Excellent. Thanks so much for talking to me today and continued success, Alan. Thanks, Sharon. Great to have you here. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I met Alan Andrews at the Old Barracks in Birdhill, County Tipperary, to taste some coffee from Ethiopia and find out all about the latest side to his business. And if you are just tuning in now and you missed that, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts, they are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. 
Now we're moving from County Tipperary to County Wexford where over the August bank holiday weekend I was fortunate to experience the Rockin' Food Festival and was given the opportunity to visit and meet a number of food and drink producers in the area. Lorraine O'Dwyer was my guide and she operates Gallivanting Tours which is Wexford's only private tour and driver guide service with tours focusing on food, heritage and stories on the road. Between stops we sat at the back of the bus where all the good chats happen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Lorraine, thanks a million for having me on the food tour today. This isn't how you started gallivanting tours. Tell us about how it all came about and the types of tours that you did originally. Well, I went back to tourism after uh, my children uh, got a little bit older and um, after growing up in the industry. So I'm, I was I was determined after working years in Dublin, seeing these terribly, terribly bad tours. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something that really focused on authentic, really, and not just the gimmicky word, but actual authentic Ireland. So what's more authentic than farms? And we have a huge amount of heritage here in Wexford. So I was very excited to show off show off a lot of that as well we have more heritage sites that are are real or replicated than anywhere else in Ireland bar Dublin perhaps but um, and then the food tourism their food food tours rather they started out that started out thanks to Anthony and Jean with Taste Wexford so when they announced that they were trying to start food tourism in Wexford I was the first person to knock on the door and go can I get involved um, so in the last few few months we have been working really really hard on helping people develop their the their farms or their food food processing plants or whatever it is to get them ready for visitors so um so they can they can really show off what Wexford's doing. I mean it is the the model county, so it's it's exploring that whole whole concept, the model county. Where did it come from? The heritage and the Well tell us a bit about the heritage of Wexford, like what's it known for? Wexford's known for loads of things, but um being the model county, we are we are well known for our best known pro- probably for our potatoes and our strawberries. Everybody knows about Wexford strawberries. Um, since the 1940s, we've uh, we've grown and grown and grown and grown. And um, Wexford now is probably one of the main suppliers. I mean, you'll find Wexford strawberries being sold by the road, apparently as far as Donegal. <laughs> and Limerick. And Limerick. I know <laughs> near where I live, I often see them there just outside Adair in County Limerick. That's amazing. Um, but we're also very well known for our barley. Uh, most of the barley here um, is uh, goes to Guinness. Um, the rest of the country, the barley that they, that they grow, it's still very good barley and it's very important barley, but it's used for fodder. And uh, but the barley here, because we get that little bit extra sunshine, it's perfect for for whiskey and Guinness. Um, so yeah, so the barley down here is uh, it's exceptionally good barley. I mean, the sun shines all 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 summer. It never rains in Wexford. <laughs> the sunny southeast. <laughs> the sunny southeast, exactly. So um, so we're 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 very lucky there. And then of course our potatoes are very are very well known, but. Really, back since the 1820s, we were very lucky here in Wexford. We have some very liberal landlords here who really, really, really tried to explore the whole idea of the concept, rather, of the model farm. And this was about everybody, all the small farms at the time, that everybody would have a minimum of one cow, one goat, 
or one sheep for milk. Um, some some uh, root vegetables, some fruit trees, um, and as well as their potatoes and their grains. So it meant that during the famine, we weren't as badly hit as the rest of the country. And then we went on to uh, the, the very first agricultural school was here in Wexford and the very first cookery school was here in Wexford. So, um, so you know, we have a very firm, very, very firm foundation of food in the county. So um, and over the years, that's just developed further and further. Now, I know places like West Cork um, are, are, are better known for their food. But I think that's because from a very early stage, from back in the 1700s, they were exporting, whereas we were never exporters. We always were feeding the rest of the country. So perhaps it's uh, it's time we start shouting about it a little bit more. You have a very interesting knowledge about the heritage in terms of the food and the drink industry as well, mm. which you share with the guests on the tour and then you take them out and about on a bus. Tell us a bit about some of the places that you take your your guests to. Well, like I was saying earlier, it's it's a, it's about something different. It has to be something different as well as just, you can't just bring them to just any old boring old farm or whatever. Uh, Ballymanon Mill, where we'll be going later this afternoon. Ballymanon Mill was built in, 18, in 1835, so it's 185 years old. And in all that time, nothing has changed. And I mean nothing. Um, it's still powered by a water mill. It's still producing bar, bar, uh, flour, the stone ground flour crushed by the old French burr stones. Um, it's still owned by the same family. It's it's literally like Instagram or Pinterest come to life. It's a beautiful place. Um, likewise, Gobbinstown Farm is another dairy farm and built in the 1770s. Exceptionally gorgeous, beautifully tidy, amazing views. And uh, and and wonderful, friendly, really, really friendly cows. Um, and we're here today now here in Reagan Organics f- Farm and your listeners won't be able to see the amazing views that we can see, but there it's exceptionally gorgeous. And um, walking around, it's an organic farm. So all the all the poultry is out scratching in the dirt. So you're getting up close, really up close uh, to a lot of the animals, um, the pigs, you know, rolling around in the muck and then seeing all the little baby chicks. And for a lot of people growing up in cities, they never have that opportunity to see that. And, and it's a wonderful way of going out, seeing the countryside, getting some fresh air, seeing where the food comes from and hearing a little bit about the history because this area, 1798, as I was just saying to you there, 220 years ago this this month, this whole area was was under martial law and there was a lot lot more going on. So um, so it's it's really about combining everything and then getting to know the people who grow the far, who grow the uh, raise the animals rather or grow the crops or whatever as well. Um, and then taking it to the next level, going, say, to Bean and Goose Chocolate and actually going to their farmhouse and in their farmhouse kitchen, making the chocolate and picking stuff off the off the hedgerows around the farmhouse to put into your chocolate. I mean, it's 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 wonderful. It's a wonderful experience. What's not to love? And earlier today we were on a strawberry farm. Mm. Yes. Well, we've got 40 different commercial uh, f- uh, strawberry farmers here in Wexford and um, um as I was saying earlier, but there's between seven and eight thousand tons of strawberries eaten by the Irish every year, which is a considerable amount of berries, and most of them are grown. At least a huge percentage of them are grown here in Wexford. Margaret and Cyril Wheelock now are um, are there are a couple of farms where you can pick your own. It's not widely advertised, but uh, Margaret and Cyril now are hoping to to really move their business forward by inviting people in to pick their own and uh, and not just to pick their own but also to learn about making jam and, and other things you can do with berries and the, the beneficial 
parts to berries, why they're so good for you. They're not just tasty. You know, they're very, very good. Do you, do you know that there's more vitamin C in a strawberry um, than there is in an orange? Wow. There you go. <laughs> the two places that we've been to so far today, it has really struck me the amount of innovation mm. in the, the people that, that run the, the different businesses. So, for example, here there's two alpacas here and there's a very special reason that they're here. They're being trained up mm. to act as guard dogs or guard guard alpacas That's for the right, yes. for the chickens for the, chickens, to, for the crows yeah, yeah and yeah. the foxes as well because yeah. apparently yeah. they will kick a predator they're if quite it, nasty if it invades they yeah. can be quite nasty alright no I think innovation is, is, is a good way to describe uh, Wexford's uh, industry across the board because again going back again to the history the model county part uh, you know we were the first to make uh, to, to, to export farm machinery. We were the first to, to do an awful lot of things, you know. So it's it seems very apt that, you know, that we're adapting. And like this summer, we've had the farmers out there have had some real, real struggles this summer with the, with the lack of rain after such a horrendous nine month long winter. So, you know, it is necessity. I swear it's the mother of all inventions. And, and, and like, you know, so there are financial cutbacks being made by everybody at this point. So it makes much more sense to to try and revert back to what our ancestors probably did um, because they didn't have money. They didn't have, you know, the, the, the likes of, you know, these 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 bombs that frighten away birds or they didn't have, you know, so, so it's like, what did our ancestors do? What can we what can we use? What can we go back to? You know, and one of the major benefits of food tourism is that it adds an additional income stream for the farmers yes. and especially in in testing times like we're experiencing at the moment because of the weather. In terms of the guests that come on the tours, mm. where are they from? How do they hear about you and and why do they sign up to come on the tours? Well, we're fairly new, so we haven't got a, uh, an, I haven't got an exact answer for you. But so far, most of our uh, visitors have been international and um, coming from America, Canada and China. And um, when when they when they come here from their own countries, they you know food food production in large countries like the states and China, it's very very different to it to to food production here on a little island like Ireland. So like for example in Canada, the cattle are kept inside much of the year. They're fed corn. It's a very different experience. Um, God love the poor cows, you know. Um, so because here they're out in the sunshine, they're grass fed. They the milk and the butter tastes much better and stuff. So so for them, it's a totally unique and exciting concept that they can go and visit the guy who gave them who who's who milked his cows that they poured in their cereal this morning you know so at the moment we're 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 just we're putting it out there the taste wexford website we're putting it out there on our own individual websites um and we're inviting people all the time to come down to wexford now any individual can come to wexford anybody can come to wexford it's very accessible it's very well set up for tourists and there's plenty of opportunity or places to stay whether it's self-catering hotels b&b's there's so many choices um Go onto the Taste Wexford website and start having a look and seeing what's coming up there. Over the next few months, there'll be more and more things listed. And we hope by next summer we hit to have pretty much everybody in the county listed that wants to get involved. So, so we're looking at getting some really, really great experiences that anybody can do. They don't have to come on a, on a tour and gallivanting tours. They can just go themselves bring their family, bring their children to, to a farm like this one and sh- explain to their children where their food's coming from because I think that's really important. 
You have a number of different tours in the portfolio, so give us the names of a few of them and what they involve. Well, this one we're on today is the Flower, Feather and Fruits one, which is uh, obviously strawberries, uh, Reagan Organics Farm, and then finishing in Ballymanon Mill. Then we have the Salty, Malty and Sweet. And the Salty, Malty and Sweet is a bacon, beer and chocolate tour. It's a two-hour workshop with Bean and Goose. It's a tour of uh, O'Neill's Dry Cure Bacon and a tour of the Cleverman Brewery. Um, and uh, then we have the Wexford Waters, which involves a little trip around the Kilmarkey. Uh, and Kilmarkey is uh, the area around that that area around there. The fish that comes in from that, or the seafood that comes in from that area, that's sold right up across the East Coast as far as, uh, and it goes as far as Spain sometimes, um, which is amazing considering the Spanish, <laughs> you know, they do their own fishing anyway. But... Um, so we go on a trip around there, out to the, out around the Salty Islands, and then we finish up with a visit to Ballyhack Smokehouse, um, where Michael Walsh has been smokes salmon, organic or free range salmon, um, in an eighty year old smokehouse, and it takes three days. And if the wind is blowing in a particular direction, he knows he has to go down and alter it ever so slightly. Um, but it's the best smoked salmon you'll ever taste. Um, so you know, so it's it's kind of a little bit of everything, and we throw in a visit to Hook Lighthouse as well because that the um, you know there's a li- there has to be a bit of heritage there, you know, and that lighthouse has been there eight hundred years, the oldest, second oldest lighthouse in the world, but the oldest functioning lighthouse in the world. So eight hundred years of fishermen have used that to guide themselves home and get us our bellies full of fish. You told me about a very special experience that they're doing there this summer. That's right, yes. This summer they've been doing um, sunrise and sunset uh, uh, buffet experiences. This is where you go down, you take a very special extended tour after a drinks reception where you get some of the local craft beers and a bit of mead. You take a tour of the lighthouse which comes up to the top just as the sun is about to set and you get to watch the most amazing sunsets because it's over the sea, the the air is very non so you get a real wow real wow factor with it and then you descend down into the old lighthouse keepers section and they have this incredible seafood buffet with uh, with that that ballyhack smoked salmon I mentioned plus crabs and lobsters and all sorts of stuff but the um, the manage, manager of Hook Lighthouse herself is actually a vegan so they have a really great vegan selection in there as well some really really nice really tasty bits as well and of course, there is a market for that there. Mm. Now, the the rest of the, the guests on this tour today are about to board mm-hmm. the bus. We're off to our next stop. If people want to find out more about Gallivanting Tours, where's the best place to direct them? Gallivantingtours.ie is the website, but I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook's probably the best, even though it's possibly not the most popular anymore, but it is the best um, because it allows us to share our stories and lots of images. The Taste Wexford website uh, also has a very strong um, social media accounts as well. Well, it's been fantastic to be on the tour so far. I'm looking forward to the rest of it and best of luck with the, the rest of the season. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine.
Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard about the food and drink attributes of the model county thanks to Lorraine O'Dwyer of Gallivanting Tours and earlier in the programme Alan Andrews provided an insight into what the coffee curious can enjoy at the old barracks in Bird Hill County Tipperary. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that interview you can catch up on best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's Repeat it on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts, they are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks to this evening's guests, Alan Andrews and Lorraine O'Dwyer for talking to me. And of course, to you for listening. And don't forget to get in touch with your food and drink news, recipes and events. Email me on s.noonan at live.ie. Next week, I'll be back with more food and drink news from County Wexford and also from County Cavan. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.